Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year, if I haven't already said Happy New Year. And thank you to Martin for stepping up and uh, joining this team to lead, lead our, our worship on, uh, on the first Sundays of the month. Um, hopefully, you are, if you're a regular here, in, if you've even kind of set foot in this church over the last six months, you are aware that Alpha starts on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday coming. And Alpha is a, is a, it's a big part of our life here in, uh, in St. Mary's and, and our sister church in Kildam. Uh, there are going to be 27 of us involved every Tuesday for the next 11 weeks simply in making it happen. That's before any of our guests arrive. It's, it's a kind of big deal for us that we have the chance to offer hospitality and to invite people to join in a conversation about whatever it is that they believe or don't believe or want to find out what they believe or whatever it might be for them. It's a, it's a big commitment that we make. And uh, we wanted to find a way of connecting up what's happening in the, in the school Tuesday by Tuesday, with what we do here on a Sunday, Sunday by Sunday. And uh, we've decided that we're going to do that through our preaching, through the times when I and others stand up. And so today marks the start of a new sermon series. And it's broadly, not precisely, but broadly going to follow the same kind of themes that our guests at Alpha uh, will be invited to explore each week. We, we've, we've changed it a fair bit to, to make sure that it, it kind of gives you here in church some real meat to grapple with. Uh, and to make it memorable, we've gone all alliterative. So uh, you're going to be getting Jesus January, Faith February, and Mission March. And uh, if, if you drift off at some point during this uh, sermon, then you can carry on the sequence, what might we do in April and beyond. Once you've done Jesus, the J's become quite hard, I warn you. We call the whole thing Back to Basics, uh, because these three months are going to give us a chance to explore some of the essential foundations, the basics of our faith. Uh, a month on Jesus, a month on prayer, Bible, church, and then a month on mission and living our faith in the world. And we start where our faith should always start, with Jesus January. Uh, and I'm going to sp start by speaking about the start of his life and by talking a bit about Jesus as a child. And I'm going to do two things. First, I want, to, I want just to look at what the Gospels tell us about Jesus' childhood, and, th and then I want to explore two reasons why it really matters that Jesus was really born as a real child. So, Jesus the child, what do we know? Uh, simple answer, not very much. Uh, here's what the four Gospels tell us. Matthew's Gospel, loads of information about Jesus' family tree. If you've ever worked your way through Matthew chapter 1, well done. It's, it's basically a list of names. Uh, then he tells the story of Mary's pregnancy, kind of from Joseph's perspective. He mentions very briefly the fact that Jesus was born, and then he tells the story that we just heard, the story of the Magi, the wise men. And that, that ends, as you know, uh, with Mary and Joseph and Jesus becoming refugees in Egypt until Herod has died and they can return to Nazareth. And then nothing, no, nothing more from Matthew about Jesus the child until his appearance with John the Baptist as an adult. Uh, if Matthew doesn't give us much, well, Mark gives us nothing at all. His gospel starts with a bang, Jesus the adult, out there uh, in the wilderness for the temptations. There's a little bit later, there's one, there's one kind of hint we get about what Jesus' family life was like. Jesus turns up, he's an adult now, he turns up at Nazareth, one of his hometowns, and, and the people there reject him. And they say this, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? That's the only insight we get from Mark about 
Jesus' family. He was from a big family. He was a carpenter or a, a craftsman, presumably apprenticed to his father. He lived an ordinary life, so ordinary that it was shocking to the people of Nazareth who knew him well that he could be anything special. That's Matthew and Mark. Luke, well, Luke's, Luke's much more uh, fulsome. He gives us the story of Jesus' birth, the one that we know well about the stable and the angels and the manger and that stuff. Uh, and he also gives us the story of Jesus, an eight-day-old eight baby. When he, he goes, he's taken for the prayers at the temple. Uh, and that passage ends by us being told that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then the only story that we get anywhere in the Bible about Jesus as a as an older child. He's 12, and you, you may well know the story. Uh, his family go up to Jerusalem for the Passover. They all go home, and somehow they've left Jesus behind. Uh, not quite sure how that would... I think social services might be involved these days, but somehow they've left him behind, and when they go and look for him, they find he's in the temple. We get at the end of that story a little bit more information. Uh, this, I think this is probably a Luke trying to make a joke uh, when they get home, we're told that Jesus was obedient to his parents, presumably having not been obedient by not coming home with them, and that he then increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. That's what Luke gives us. And then, uh, and that's it. John doesn't say a single thing about Jesus as a child. Uh, he tells the story of his birth from a, from a very different perspective. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He says nothing at all about Jesus at any age until he becomes an adult. So, what do we know about Jesus the child? Not much. We know he lived an ordinary life. We had, he had brothers and sisters. We know that his father was a craftsman. We know, therefore, that they were neither really rich nor were they desperately poor. We know that he knew the scriptures well. We know that he loved to talk about them. We know that he was strong physically, that he was considered wise, and that he was mainly, except not in Nazareth, well regarded by God and the people around him. That's it. But we do know that he was a child, and, it, and that matters. Presumably, God could have done something different. He, he could have chosen to, to fulfill his plan to restore the world in any way he wanted. Presumably, he could have sent an army of angels. He could have sent some kind of special prophet, a great king, but he didn't. He sent Jesus to be born as a baby, to grow up as a child, and then to go through the teenage years. And, and, and that matters. And there are two reasons why that matters. In fact, there are two reasons why that's really the foundation of the Christian faith, that Jesus was born and grew up just like you and just like me and just like our own children and just like our own grandchildren. Two reasons. First, it means that God loves us. I mean, completely and utterly and totally loves us. Life as a child in Palestine 2,000 years ago was risky. The very best estimates, people have looked into this, social scientists have looked at the data, suggest that infant mortality rates back then were about 300 in every 1,000 births. That means that, so for every 1,000 children that were born, 300 of them would not make it to the age of five. For comparison today, the figure in this country, four per 1,000. And even in the, the very poorest parts of the world where the conditions are worst for bringing a baby to life, 
100 per thousand live births. So Jesus, when he was born, was three times more likely to have died as a young child than a baby born in the very worst conditions today. God took an almighty risk in sending Jesus. And that's before we factor in Herod's murderous attempts uh, and the impact of having to flee with a newborn on a dangerous journey uh, to an unknown country. Why would God take a risk like that? It can only, surely, only be because he is completely sold out on us. Because he's ready to give us everything he's got. He is absolutely and 100% committed to the creation that he called into being and which he loves. He took the most precious relationship that he has and he entrusted him to this dangerous, risky world where anything could happen. Take a moment with that thought, just before I carry on. It's easy just to kind of, oh yeah, God loves us, of course he does. But take a moment with that thought. That in sending Jesus to be born as a baby and to grow up as a child, God risked everything for you. He risked everything just because he loves you. You might want to just stick with that thought while I carry on, and that's, that's fine. And there'll be a moment later with some music when you can go a bit deeper with that if you want. Don't let that... Th- it's just too easy, isn't it, for us? To, uh, God loves you. Yeah, right. Tick. Next. But, it, but if, you, if you can, let that really sink in. That's, well, that's more than life-changing. Here's the second reason why it really matters that Jesus was a, a baby and a child and a teenager. It means that this real world matters. In the very early days of the church, like within the, the first 100 years, 150 years of Jesus' resurrection, there were lots of groups of people around the Mediterranean who were interested in, in kind of spiritual stuff. And they heard about Jesus. They heard the stories. They were impressed by the stories. And they, they were known kind of collectively, these, these groups, as, the, as Gnostics, Gnostics believed that the world was kind of suspicious. The world of real stuff was a bit suspicious. That messy, dirty things like bodies keep us, in the end, keep us away from God because God is pure and spiritual. Their theology taught that real holiness lay in transcending physical stuff in order to be united with kind of spiritual stuff. So they they, they would teach, for instance, that we all had a divine spark within us which has been imprisoned in a body and and the the solution is to to set that pure divine spark free so that it can be united with God. And and you can probably hear, you know, we don't come up with new ideas very often as human beings, do we? I mean, you can still hear those, many of those things around in our culture at the moment of a, a kind of spirituality that says in order to be really holy, you need to be set free from stuff in order to to kind of be spiritual. And for a while, 
that view was really quite influential in the early church. And there were people who were seriously tempted to see Jesus through that lens. Like he was a kind of holy man who remained pure and holy in a very messy and complex world by keeping himself unsullied by difficult things like emotion or dirt or complexity. Think of all those pictures of Jesus dressed in pure white clothes. And, and who eventually... Uh, move beyond the earth, beyond his body, to return to some kind of pure essence of God out there somewhere. But in the end, that view did not win out in the church because the scriptures just won't allow it. Because Jesus was born as a real human being who really cried, presumably really needed his nappy changing, really had to figure out his relationship with his mum, really had friends with whom he laughed and bantered and presumably cried. Jesus made stuff with his real hands. He probably whacked his thumb with a hammer once or twice. He bled when he was cut. He burnt the food when he was distracted. He was entirely and completely human, just like you and me. That Jesus was born as a baby is proof that this real world, this real world of trees and stones, of work and travel, of bodies, of food, of sex, of emotion, that these things really matter. God's aim is not to remove us all from this world into a floaty spiritual space somewhere out there. His aim is to redeem all of it, all of it, And that means that our bodies matter. It means that the things that we make matter. It means that our work matters. It means that art and music matter. It means that food and sport and laughter matter. These things matter because Jesus came and became flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt with us, dwelt as us. A really holy life is not one that transcends this world and spends its time in free-floating meditation. A really holy life is one that lives right in the middle of the mess and the muddle, always looking to bring God's goodness and redemption to real people in their real lives. Take a moment with that thought. Is there anywhere that you have come to think that freedom or holiness, or peace lie in escaping from this world? Are there any ways in which you need to reinvest in discovering and sharing God's life right in the middle of your actual, real, bodily life? Take a moment with that thought. We know very little about Jesus' childhood, but that doesn't matter. That's not the point. That Jesus was a child is the point. That Jesus was a child is convicting proof of God's total love for creation. That Jesus was a child is convicting proof that this world, this real world, really matters.
Amen.